0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on What to Expect. There are gonna be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. So next Sunday is the 4th of July, and because of that, we are only going to have one service next week at 9.15 a.m. And the reason for this is because next Sunday is gonna be one of the best days for you to spend time with your friends and your family and your neighbors who don't know Jesus, and we really want you to do that. And so be here for us, or watch Collective Online at 9.15 a.m. next Sunday, and then make plans to go hang out with people in your neighborhood, hang out with people and show them what hope through Jesus looks like. So you all are 1045 people, the 915 people, don't have to worry about it as much. If you're a 1045 person, You can't come to this service next week. It won't exist. And so if you show up at 1045, you'll be all alone. Mission Barbecue opens at 1130, so maybe take a walk and head over there. uh, Enjoy barbecue on the 4th of July. It kind of seems fitting. But only one service next week, 9.15 a.m. Got it? I'm worried about you guys. The first service I didn't care about. All right. So I am a high-challenge type of person. Uh, I think this comes from my competitive nature, but I love to push and encourage people to reach goals, to grow, to be better today than they were yesterday. But every once in a while, it goes a little too far. About two months ago, my collective was finishing up dinner, and we were getting ready to start our discussion on the previous Sunday's message when someone brought out a box of ice cream sandwiches. And one of the guys, Chris, reached for the box and started to open up when DJ, who was our host this morning, said, you won't eat all 12 of them. And immediately, our attention was no longer focused on Jesus, but on whether or not Chris could eat 12 ice cream sandwiches. Chris was very confident. We were not. And somehow, in the chaos of the moment, a bet was made $100 if you could eat all 12 ice cream sandwiches within an hour. He declined. So a few other people sweetened up the pot, and it was now $200 but he was on the fence. So I decided to go for Chris's weakness and I offered him a collective hat. Now, we don't have collective hats and I didn't have any plans for collective hats, but for four years, Chris has been asking me for collective hats. So I made an offer he couldn't refuse. And I was absolutely positive that Chris would lose this bet. And ultimately what I really wanted was for him to throw up in front of our small group because it was 2,000 calories of ice cream sandwiches, 2.5 Pounds of ice cream and chocolate cookies. Well, to all of our disappointment, he didn't throw up. In fact, he finished all 12 in 44 minutes. So now I have 30 collective hats in my office because I had to order them in bulk. So if you want one and will legitimately wear a collective hat, come find me after church. I got about 10 left and I'm giving them out. And once they're gone, they're gone. I hope I never have to buy them again unless I lose another bet. Also, Chris runs sound in the back, so if you, got a, if you get a hat today, make sure to thank him for doing something disgusting. Today is the last day of our series called Foundations, and we spent the past few weeks looking at some of the core pieces of Christianity, and my hope is that you have gotten more confident in your faith and have a stronger foundation when it comes to communion, the Bible, and Jesus. And as we close out this series today by talking about baptism, I want to issue you a challenge. I challenge you to go home today and eat 12 ice cream sandwiches in an hour. It's not that simple, okay? First service, I'm like, that's easy. I'm like, go do it. I'm not going to give you anything for doing it because, again, it's gross. But, But here's the thing. I genuinely want to challenge you to take the next step in your faith because here's the truth. Every person here, including myself, has a next step that they can take. It could be reading the Bible more. It could be choosing generosity and giving for the first time. It could be joining the team here and serving on Sunday mornings. It could be inviting someone to church this summer. If you're a first-time guest, it's as simple as come back. Your next step is to come back next week and, and continue to learn what God has for you. But for some of you, it's baptism, If you've been coming to Collective for more than a couple weeks, you've probably seen someone get into this trough and get dunked underwater, followed by everyone in here cheering very loudly. And if you've never been to church before, if you've never seen a baptism, you probably thought, what the heck is going on? And that makes sense, right? It's weird when we get that. Baptism along with communion are the churchiest things that we do as a church, so I wanna spend some time today talking about what baptism is and why it matters. And if you've already been baptized, that's so great, but my challenge to you is, is don't check out because my hope is that today will give you more confidence in the decision that you made and it'll help you have a stronger foundation for communicating why you got baptized and you can help other people wrestle with that next step for themselves. And here's the deal. We don't do this every time there's a baptism at collective, but once every 18 months or so, I will teach solely on this topic and we will give people the opportunity to to make the decision to get baptized that day. And today is that day. And the reason we're doing this is because some of you already know that you're ready. Right, you know that deep down inside. And some of you are on the fence, and I think today will help you realize that this is a good next step for you to take. So if that is you, you will have a chance to get in the trough today and get baptized along with a few other people who checked the baptism box the last few weeks and who are already get baptized today. And so here's how that will happen. At the end of today's message, I will pray. And if you are ready to take that next step during the prayer before communion, we want you to head out the double doors and go talk to DJ and Danielle in the lobby for a quick conversation and they'll help you get ready. And we even have a change of clothes for you, right? There's no excuses today. So it really comes down to this, it really does. This is what you need to wrestle with am I ready to do this or not? And if you are, we are ready to celebrate with you as a church. So in nearly every culture around the world, water has significant meaning. It means to be washed clean, and it means new life. In fact, in the Jewish faith, they have a tradition of immersing people in water for ritual purification. And this is most likely where the practice of baptism came from. Jesus was Jewish and followed Jewish customs for most of his life until he began elevating many of them and providing new meaning to these practices. And the first reference of baptism in the Bible comes when Jesus is baptized. Jesus was 30 years old and was about to begin his ministry on earth when he approached his cousin, John the Baptist. And this is what it says in Matthew 3. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? You you see, John recognized that Jesus was the son of God before many people did, right? So he knew that Jesus was who he said he was and said, hey, I'm not worthy to be baptized or to be baptizing you. But Jesus said it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So whenever someone asks me, why should I get baptized? I start with this story because if Jesus did it, we should probably do it as well. Putting this bluntly, if you are a follower of Jesus and you have never been baptized, I think it's very hard to justify that because part of following Jesus's lead is following Jesus's lead. And clearly he led the way when it came to baptism. But it wasn't just something he did, it was also something that he commanded. One of the last things that Jesus said to his followers was in Matthew 28, he said, "'Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father, "'the Son, and the Holy Spirit.'" And really, I should be able to drop the mic with these verses and be done with this topic, right? Jesus did it, Jesus commanded it, the end. But I know it isn't always that simple. And so let's dig deeper. Baptism is the physical action that represents what is going on with the faith in your heart, right? It is the action tied to your faith. And the best biblical definition of faith is what I believe shown by what I do. And when we read the biographies of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is story after story of people coming to Jesus with faith, and what Jesus will do is he'll commend their faith, he'll praise their faith, and then challenge them to show that their faith has actions. He tells one group of people, go show yourselves to the priests, and then you'll be healed. He tells another person, go wash yourself in the pool of shalom, and then you'll be healed. He tells another guy, pick up your mat and walk, and that is when he's healed. Because Jesus teaches that faith has action. And this isn't just a Jesus thing. When James, Jesus' half-brother, writes a letter to the early church, he echoes Jesus' sentiments. He says in James 2, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? And so what James is saying is, it's not just about faith, and it's not just about action, but both, because faith without action is a dead type of faith. So throughout the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus, Paul, and Peter, and other church leaders point out that the action that represents the faith we are choosing to place in Jesus is baptism. And baptism represents several different things. In Romans 6, it says that it represents the death of our old life and being raised into new life in Jesus. It says, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. In Galatians 3, it says that it unites us with Christ, and it's like putting on new clothes. It says all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Acts 22 describes it as washing away our sins. It says, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. And it's not a physical washing away of our sins because there is nothing magical about that water, right? I do not have any special powers where I can bless it. It comes from the mop sink in the lobby, okay? But it symbolizes the faith you have on the inside and is represented by the action you take. One of the obstacles when it comes to baptism is that a lot of us were exposed to different types or even theologies of baptism growing up. Maybe it was from grandma or even pop culture. And so I want to clear up a couple questions that I get about baptism at Collective. And I want to start with this Baptism does not save you. No physical act, no religious act saves you. You cannot earn forgiveness, grace, or salvation. You can't. And this is a good thing because ultimately, if we tried to earn those things, we would fall short the only thing that saves us is the grace of Jesus that he offers, and then he backed up when he died on a cross and resurrected from the dead three days later. That's it. So it's not like going through some religious rite of any kind will save you, whether it's baptism or confirmation or taking communion. None of that saves you. Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you because he loves you. But Jesus does tell us to get baptized And Paul and Peter, two of the most influential Jesus followers who led the early church, also teach that when we put our faith in Jesus, we declare that publicly through baptism, which is why we practice baptism and make it such a big deal at Collective. So one of the questions that people ask me all the time is, when should I get baptized? And this is kind of a two-sided question. When people ask me when they should get baptized, what they're often asking is, how will I know that I'm ready? And it's a great question. Because some people will want to wait until they stop sinning, right? Wait until they have their life together. Some people want to wait until they don't have any more doubts. Some people wanna wait until they figure all this Jesus stuff out. And if that is you, you will never get to those places. You won't. Baptism isn't something you do as a completion of your faith because it will never be complete. Right? You should always be growing and maturing in your relationship with Jesus. For me, I was baptized when I was 14 years old. Um, I think this is the first picture I've ever shared from my childhood. Soak it up, because this is not happening again, okay? Uh, This is late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, he's wearing waders. Yes, we dress that way. If you're on TikTok, that's how everybody's dressing now. I don't like it, okay? Gen Z is like wearing clothes that are like baggy down to their ankles. I'm like, guys, we did that for a long time. It's not cool. It doesn't need to come back. But that's me. I was baptized in a creek. And for me, I went to church for three years before I got baptized. And the reason why I took, and I watched my family do it. I watched my siblings do it, watched my parents do it. But the reason why it took me so long was because I didn't feel like my faith was complete, right? I believed that Jesus was the son of God, right? I served on Sunday mornings. I went to a small group during the week, but I always felt like I had a long way to go, which I did, and I still do. But one night I was at a student conference in Roanoke listening to a pastor named Tommy Oaks when it finally clicked Baptism wasn't about reaching the boss level of my faith. It was about the truth that when I sin, when I fall short, when I suck at following Jesus, Jesus would continue to give me grace. He would continue to give me endless second chances. And when I heard that, I remember thinking, why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I want forgiveness? Why wouldn't I want grace? Why wouldn't I want what Jesus has for me? So that's the night I decided to get baptized. We got home from the conference and I was baptized that weekend. And I don't remember much from that day. Uh, I do remember weirdly enough that uh, the Washington football team was winning before my baptism and then I came out and they had lost. So I don't know if that's a sign or not. Maybe that was the moment when I realized I shouldn't be rooting for them anymore. But the other thing I, I remember is that I felt different when I came out of that water. Like I remember that I felt new, I felt lighter. I felt peace knowing that my life was in Jesus' hands with his unconditional love and unending grace. And so it doesn't really matter where you are in your faith. If you think you have it all figured out or you know that you have a long way to go, it comes down to whether or not you believe Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he came to rescue us from our sin. And if you believe that to be true, and you have faith in that, whether you've been following Jesus for years and have never been baptized, or you just started following Jesus and you've never been baptized, the response to that faith, to that belief, is baptism. And that's exactly what happened in the early church. At the first church service post-Jesus, Peter is preaching about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And he says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. In other words, Jesus is who he said he is, and we are the proof. Dude was crucified and buried, then we saw him come back to life just like God promised he would. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn toward God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that day, 3,000 people there had faith that Jesus was the Son of God and took the next step and got baptized. And As you keep reading the book of Acts, it happened every single time they got together. Going back to the question of when should I get baptized, some people ask me this because they were sprinkled as a baby or they want to baptize their child. And what we see in the Bible is that every person that gets baptized, uh, and you can read the entire book of Acts, or you can actually just cheat and go to BibleGateway.com and type in the word baptism or baptized, and you can read every passage in the Bible about this topic. And I would encourage you to do it. Like, fact check me. It's okay for those of you who are like really angry right now. Just Google it. I'm right. But what you'll do is you go and you read the New Testament of the Bible, and you'll see that every person that gets baptized decided to do it themselves. It wasn't ever forced on someone. It wasn't against their will. It wasn't without them knowing. And So there are no instances at all of babies being baptized in the Bible. In fact, the first mention of infant baptism is found 160 years after Jesus died. Archaeologist Francesco Ardini recently connected the emergence of infant baptism with the Antonine plague. They actually just figured this out this spring. And so ultimately, there was a, a pandemic that happened. And this plague was probably smallpox, but it devastated the Roman Empire, and Ardini found that this new religious practice followed the Antonine Plague because parents wanted to try to guarantee salvation for their babies before anything terrible could happen to them. And then in 400 AD, it gained wider acceptance because of a theologian named Augustine, who took the position that infants are born with inherited sin from their parents, which is a complete, complete misinterpretation of scripture. And with infant mortality being over 50% at the time, he taught people that they needed to baptize their kids as quickly as they could so they could go to heaven if they died. So that's how infant baptism was introduced to the church. Not from scripture, not from the example of the early church who learned from Jesus, but out of fear. Now, Jesus does say, let the little children come to me. So if a child wants to come to Jesus, we let them. But he said, let them come to me not force them to come to me. So baptism is always accompanied by faith. Therefore, it must always be done by someone who's old enough to grasp faith, right? Now, I know we can split hairs about what age a child can understand faith. And I understand a lot more at 35 than I did at 25 than I did at 15. But all of that is to say, this is why we don't baptize babies at collective. Because we want children to have their own faith where they can choose to be baptized, not you choosing for them out of your own faith for God. Which leads to the next question, how should I get baptized? Does it matter if I'm dunked underwater or sprinkled or maybe you've seen somebody pour some water on somebody else's head or something similar? But in order to answer that question, we have to talk about the original language of the New Testament. The New Testament of the Bible was written in Greek. And as we learned two weeks ago when we talked about the Bible, around year 1500, it was translated into English. And when they did this, they took all the Greek words and turned them into English words. So when Jesus says, ego, I mean, it's translated, I am, right? From Greek to English, which makes sense. But the Greek word for baptism is baptismo. Instead of translating the word, they actually just transliterated it into English, baptismo to baptism. But baptism literally means to be immersed. And typically, when I'm teaching on this topic, I'll talk about how the word baptism was used in Greek literature. Because there's this famous story about a naval battle where one ship who uh, wrote an account back to Rome said what happened. And in the letter, they said that they baptized the other ship. Right? They didn't sprinkle it. They didn't splash it a little bit. They sunk it. Right? They immersed it. They sent it to the bottom of the ocean. But just last week, I was reading in the book of Luke And Jesus actually uses the word baptismo in a way that I'd never seen before. And I thought this was really relevant for today. Jesus said this in Luke 20. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. So Jesus uses the word baptism, baptismo to explain the suffering that is coming his way. And we talked about this suffering last week. The death on a cross that Jesus endured was emotional and physical torture. It was excruciating. So when Jesus says he has a baptism of suffering, do you think that he's saying there's a light sprinkling of suffering coming his way? A gentle pouring over his forehead. No. He's saying he's going to be immersed in suffering. He's gonna be surrounded by suffering. He's going to be buried in suffering. And I know I know, I've been doing this long enough to know, that this creates tension in some of you because you were sprinkled as a baby. So hear me when I say this. It is great that you were sprinkled as a baby or you want to sprinkle your child, but that is not baptism. That is not what we see in the Bible. That's more of a child dedication. And being dedicated or dedicating your child and making a commitment to raise them to love Jesus is a great thing. We do child dedications in this church. We have one coming up in the fall. But baptism means to be immersed and it is a decision that you have to make. It cannot be made for you by your parents. It cannot be made for you by your priest. It can't be made for you because of some ritual that you had to do to become a member in a certain church. So if you were sprinkled as a child, I would challenge you to follow Jesus' lead and get baptized. And if you get immersed now, it's not going against the decision your parents made. It's actually affirming the decision they made. It's showing them that you are fulfilling the desire that they had on your life when you were a child. But it's also showing them that you are an adult. You are old enough to own your own faith. And you're not saying what they did was wrong. You're saying you are ready to have your own faith, a full faith represented with action that you take. One more question I often get asked. Uh, I was baptized before and I did it out of faith and it wasn't the biblical way of being immersed, but I walked away from my faith or you know, I messed up a lot. Do I need to get rebaptized? And very rarely will we tell someone that they should get rebaptized. So when that question comes up, what we'll do is we'll ask you, did you do it in the right way and with the right heart? And if the answer is no to either of those, then you really didn't do it in the way that Jesus modeled it. Right? like If you did it out of fear, if you did it because of peer pressure and all your friends did it, if you did it because your mom was elbowing you one Sunday in church or because you wanted to serve or take communion in a specific church and it was required, right? maybe you did it the right way, but it wasn't out of your own faith. So if it wasn't out of your own faith, it wasn't your own decision to make, then yes, we would say, do it the right way for the first time. But if you did it the right way for the right reason and your faith journey has just been bumpy, that's okay. To be honest, that's to be expected. That's why Jesus offers grace. Grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Grace means that even though we deserve the opposite, we are invited to take a place at the table in God's family. Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. And that is what Jesus offers us every single day. So I don't know where you are at in your faith, whether it's brand new, whether you've been following Jesus for a long time, whether you've walked in and out of a relationship with God for years. Wherever you are at, if you have never gone public with your faith, today is probably a good day to do it. Today is a good day to choose new life. Today is a good day to choose grace. Today is a good day to choose a place at the table in God's family. I wanna end with this. One of my favorite baptism stories in the Bible comes from Acts 8. A government official from Ethiopia is traveling along a road and reading part of the Old Testament. Specifically, he's reading from Isaiah. He's reading about a lamb being led to slaughter. He's reading about Jesus. And one of Jesus's followers, who was actually a leader in the early church, overhears the man reading it and asks him, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy says, no, how am I supposed to understand if nobody explains it to me? And so Philip takes the time to tell this guy everything he knew about Jesus, not just what he read, but what he saw. He shared about how good and kind Jesus was. He shared about how Jesus came from people who were broken and far from God. He shared about how Jesus will give us new life And forgiveness, and the Ethiopian responded, "Look, here is water. What can stand in my in in the way of my being baptized? I don't know what's standing in the way of your next step, right? There'll always be something. To be honest, it could be fear, it could be insecurity, it could be doubts, it could be pride. Honestly, there will always be things that try to slow us down." But maybe today is a day we take a page out of the Ethiopians book and go for it. We take that next step, right? What can stand in the way? What can stand in the way of the life that Jesus wants for you? What can stand in the way of grace? What can stand in the way of declaring your faith in a God who loves you and truly wants what's best for you? What can stand in the way? God, um, to be honest, uh, if, if we were being real with you, if we were being real with each other, we would say that every single one of us has tried to earn our salvation. God, that every single one of us has tried to earn grace. Every single one of us has tried to earn good standing with you. And God, we've just fallen short. God, we mess up all the time. God, we we do try our best and it's still not quite enough. But God, that's why we're so thankful for grace. God, that's why we're so thankful that there's nothing we can do to make you love us more and there's nothing we can do to make you love us less. God, that's why we're so thankful that you already love us as much as an infinite God can love us. God, because we know that we don't deserve it. God, we know that we can't do enough good things to earn it. So we're thankful for that. And God, ultimately, we're thankful that we have the opportunity as individuals to be made new. God, that we don't have to hold on to our past. We don't have to hold on to our sins. We don't have to hold on to our mistakes. God, that you give us the opportunity to be washed clean, to put on new clothes, to have new life. So God, I just pray that that's what we long for. God, a new life found in you. Hope found in you. Grace found in you. God, we're just so thankful that you give us the opportunity to accept that, say yes to that, to choose that for our own life. God, I pray this week for people who are wrestling with that. that Maybe this is the week that they choose to put their faith in you and accept what you have for them, a life that's so much better than anything this world could offer. God, we love you and praise this in your name. Amen.